Welcome to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Our show tonight is Let's Get It On. is Marvin Gaye, Let's Get It On, off the 1973 album of the same name. Getting It On is our focus tonight as we welcome Amy Rose Spiegel to the show. Spiegel is the author of Action, a book about sex, which came out in May this year from Grand Central Publishing. Spiegel is an editor and freelance writer whose work has appeared in Rolling Stone, The Guardian, BuzzFeed, and many other publications. She comes to us via Skype from her home in Brooklyn, New York. Welcome, Amy Rose Spiegel. Hi, thanks for having me. Also with us tonight in our studio is Interchange friend and return guest, Jen Mayer, Clinical Associate Professor in Gender Studies at Indiana University here in Bloomington. Her most recent work focuses on representations of reproductive technology in popular culture. She's frequently contributed to the thoroughly awesome magazine, (laughs) Bitch, a feminist response to popular culture, and her essay, Hot for Teacher, on the erotics of pedagogy, was featured in the collection Bitchfest, 10 Years of Cultural Criticism. Welcome, Jen. Thank you. Now, first, let me advise listeners, this is a show about sex. We do not intend to be squeamish. Well, I might be squeamish. We recognize the FCC prohibitions for language and obscenity. Still, when we want to speak about sex acts, we will name them. This seems best for clarity's sake, at the very least. I mention this as much because I have more than one friend who said they listen while they're making dinner and or having dinner with their family. So that out of the way, let's turn to Marvin Gaye's liner notes to Let's Get It On. He says, I can't see anything wrong with sex between consenting anybody's. I think we make far too much of it. After all, one's genitals are just one important part of the magnificent human body. I contend that sex is sex and love is love. When combined, they work well together, if two people are of about the same mind. But they are really two discrete needs and should be treated as such. I don't believe in overly moralistic philosophies. Have your sex. It can be exciting, if you're lucky. This is a sentiment that our guest tonight, Amy Rose Spiegel, would hardly endorse. I think, Amy, I'm sorry for speaking for you. But luck is only part of the equation, and maybe a small part. One really ought to be prepared. And part of that preparation is being able to talk about sex. That's what we'll do in this episode, Getting It On with Amy Rose Spiegel. Amy Rose Spiegel, how did you come to write the book? I came to write the book through a stint that I had as an editor at at a place called Rookie, which is a website and book series for teenage girls. We ran a few advice columns and all of their letters would come directly to my inbox. So every day I was reading about 200 missives direct from the teenage brain. A lot of that, unsurprisingly, had to do with sex. But what I was surprised by was the amount of questions that addressed things that I thought were just basic knowledge. Like, is it okay if I do certain things? Does it mean I'm gay if I hook up with a girl once? And that kind of thing, as well as more health-based concerns. And so when I started talking to my older friends about this, they were like, yeah, I'm really interested in that stuff too. And it seemed like that no one had ever been given a conclusive answer. And while I don't have any conclusive answers to sex because there aren't any, I thought action might be a nice way to think about these things together. Well, it's gotten a lot of praise, uh, mm-hmm. and the praise is what caught my eye. And after I looked at the reviews, I realized most that I'd seen, and maybe all that I'd seen, were by women. Um, and uh, so I wondered if this is a book more for women. I don't think so, because while I was writing this book, 
a lot of people ask me that same question. But then after it came out, even if men didn't want to speak about it as publicly, they were the people sending me letters. They were the people raising their hands in Q and A's. And I didn't write this book specifically for any one gender, because I think that so much of sex, no matter your gender, boils down to commonalities more than it does differences. And so that's what I wanted to look at: the places where we could come together, so、mm. to speak. Well, I have teenage boys. Is this a book for them? <laughs> Definitely. It is more than anything a book for teenage boys. I would love if you gave it to your boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have to buy another copy then. I, I,、um, uh, so. I have some friends who, as soon as my book came out, they had a son, and they bought a copy and had me sign it for him so they can give it to him when he's eighteen. Oh,、yeah. I, so should I wait till he's eighteen?、Uh, they're not quite that old yet. And how old are they? Well, I'm, I'm not sure I should talk about them、oh, on the air. They're going to be nervous or upset with me. Although they never listen to the show. Mine's、uh, only seven,、okay. so we're we're not. Not、oh, quite there. Yeah. yeah.、Oh, okay. So, <laughs> I would recommend this book for anybody around age fourteen, fifteen. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I, it's、uh, it's worth the cover price. I think the glossary、uh, itself and the chapter on,、uh, on the age of consent、uh, as we begin the book that's uh, that's uh, really was a nice way to open it. I think the 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 glossary and the terms that I think some of us don't quite understand or know how to talk about them anymore. And Jen, you can speak to this as well.、Mm-hmm. Um, Was that、um, a thing that you came to、uh, that you felt was really necessary, Amy? Absolutely, because I find that so much of thinking about sex as it applies to topics like consent or being queer or any number of subjects that you might want to think about can feel really limited if you don't have what is called like the proper language to address it.、Mm-hmm. And I think that that's unfair. I think that. To treat sex like a set of vocabulary words that, if you don't know them, if you happen to have never really read sexual theory, or maybe you didn't go to college where people talked about it, or you don't exist in feminist circles, that shouldn't exclude you from a conversation.、Mm-hmm. So I wanted to put that right up front, first and foremost, to have people see this reference point and also feel included in any conversation that they might come across that use those words.、Mm-hmm. Mm. So the there are a lot of words and like、uh, I guess it was nice for me to have words like、uh, I guess cisgender things of this. These are things. This is yeah. This yeah. is just things that I we're more used to in an academic kind of environment, which was sort of related kind of to my question, which is possibly a little bit more academic. Which is、um, when I read this, I was thinking about it in terms of the trajectory of say feminist theories or queer theory、um, and sex, right? Which has been contentious. Um, uh, for quite a long time, and I I appreciated the fact that when you use the term pro sex, that you were very careful to unpack it and say, you know, I'm not completely comfortable with this term because you know folks who are perhaps more critical of many things are they're not necessarily anti sex. So I really appreciated you taking a term that is a term that people kind of use in academia, but is not something that you, as you pointed out,、um, and funnily, that people use in regular conversation. I'm still curious if you have thought about your work. In a kind of、um, uh, sociological, or, or where it sits within the framework of cultural studies on sexuality, particularly gender and sexuality, or queer theory, or feminist theory, like where would you、um, place your forebears, or where you stand within that sort of, you know, larger works, or if you do, or if you don't want to. <laughs> 
Well, I'm really grateful for all the work of feminist and queer communities that I've benefited from as a person who's 25. Uh -huh. I know that I'm not the vanguard of a brand new mode of sure. thinking here. There are people who've committed a lot of their of their study and a lot of their effort into making, you know, this kind of background on which I can build. Mm -hmm. But I would say that this book is not academics. For, right. I would say it's for people who don't go to college more than it is for people who do. And I'm not saying that in an exclusionary way. I, what I mean by that is I would, my, my goal with this was to create something that didn't have to stand in an academic canon that could make sex the, the right, like looking at sex and thinking about sex, the right of anybody, sure. regardless of whether or not they had studied you know, different kinds of sexual texts or, or coursework. Mm -hmm. as, Mar as Marvin Gaye said, I think, right? Sex is sex. So uh, this is Doug Storm. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. Our topic today is sex and this single girl or woman. I'm joined via Skype by Amy Rose Spiegel, author of Action, a book about sex. And in the studio with me is Jen Mayer, IU Clinical Associate Professor in the Gender Studies Department. Uh, so it, was audience a concern as you wrote the book, Amy Rose? You thought, well, I, I do have a specific idea that there is a, a kind of person that I want to be able to read this. I know it does have a, uh, you've spoken of the sort of general nature of it, and we've talked about teenage boys being a perfect uh, <laughs> candidate for reading it uh, and coming out of Rookie having all these questions. Uh, was it basically that, that type of person, or would you expect that anyone uh, from any age would get some benefit from it. It's, it's a pretty broad uh, look at different aspects of sex in the culture. My main hope was to have the end result that was a book that people who were, you know, in their 50s and 60s could read and feel like, okay, there's something here for me. Are you and just that, trying to be included, Doug? Yeah, I, that, thank you very much. For... I mean, you would have felt right at home in my first, in my first book tour stop when it was the Q&A was all people who were 40 years old mm. and older asking about gender issues and sexuality, which was great. That was awesome. Well, but, so we'll uh, later we'll get into the, the, the Golden Girls, I think. And in the, in, the, in, the <laughs> in the one episode, you, 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 you point out in one of your, your rookie posts, uh, in particular, the 43-year-old uh, uh, dean of the students uh, doesn't recognize particular sexual acts that are on his sexual harassment sheet. So maybe it is, you know, uh, uh, the fact that we imagine sex is common, that all things that we might understand as sex are common understanding or imagined at least. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's part of this, too. When you say uh, who is the ideal audience for your book, I wanted to write a book that bridged a lot of different terminology, a lot of different understandings. And I wanted that to extend to things like gender. I find that we are currently as a culture a little bit behind on issues of what transgender people experience what you know what women and men experience all of it like so i wanted to really find a way to connect all of those different things in a way that felt friendly and that felt like less uh fraught than i see it being addressed other places I'm just curious, what were the sort of questions that were broached to you by people that were, you know, over 20 years older than you are? Well, the, the first person who came up and asked a question after the Q&A was an older man who said, after, you know, the whole reading and the Q&A, very lively, he came up with his book to have it signed and he said, do women like you like sex? And if so, how much? 
And, and I said $10,000. But that, no, no, but right. during the actual Q&A, a lot of people were curious about what it meant when someone is transgender. Right. And a lot of, and then educators of mm-hmm. teenagers came up and asked, I have transgender students whom I see, how can I be more inclusive there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you mention in the book, uh, I think you uh, actually call yourself queer, is that correct? Yes, yes. she does. Oh, sorry. Yeah, can, can you... Uh, Sorry to answer for you. Can you, can you uh, it's okay, I guess, give you the answer. Can you detail that for us? I, sure. I don't mean necessarily go into detail right now, but just what exactly... Do you mean like, what is the term? Yeah, how does, how does oh. the term mean okay. to, to you? Queer in general, I think, is a catch-all for people who might not live a heteronormative lifestyle. But for me, what it means is, for a while, I... I was a little bit vexed about trying to find the right word for myself. It wasn't bisexual, it wasn't gay, it wasn't straight. And so when I found queer, it felt like a good way to call myself something without limiting myself in some other way. And I don't think it's necessarily limiting if you want to call yourself any identity that you choose. But in my case, queer felt like the thing that felt truest because it wasn't specific and because my attitudes change a lot within it. And I think, I mean, for the way I sort of talk about it in the classroom among other places is that, I mean, it it can become an umbrella term in some sense. And I think it's, it's often used as a term of critique of sort of heteronormative kind of norms and ways of being in the world, right? That those are things that you want to queer. I think sometimes right. the term has been like overly capacious, right? Like we want to queer everything. Um, uh, in terms of how people apply it academically. But that's like, that's an academic thing more than I think in how individual people claim the term. Well, um, I would just say from my middle class, small town <laughs> upbringing, it's, it's been a, I guess, an attempt to take back the term as much yeah, as anything right, else, right? right? So uh, it was never a word that I would have used in a positive way. Yeah, I mean, my aunt came out in like 19, in New York in 1964, and she can't like make her mouth make that word. Hmm. No, she right. just, yeah, it's just too tough. It's, it's too painful. Yeah. It was a pejorative for such a long time. Yeah. And I think that this reclamation of it, I think in, in being really eager to reclaim it, you're right, it has come to mean any number of things. Yeah. Any number of joyous things as opposed to... <laughs> I, like the, I like the idea of it meaning any number of joyous things. That's actually a really great definition. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for a break. This is Doug Storm. Our show is Let's Get It On with Amy Rose Spiegel. Spiegel is the author of a new book of advice about sex called Action. Jen Mayer, an IU clinical associate professor in the Gender Studies Department, is with me in the studio. When we come back, we'll start with some advice from Helen Gurley Brown, editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan for 32 years. Prince is our partner through the break with Darling Nikki off of Purple Rain. Get more action from Amy Rose Spiegel when we, when we return to Interchange on WFHB. Yes. 
Welcome back. This is Doug Storm on Interchange. Our show is Let's Get It On. Our guests are, via Skype, Amy Rose Spiegel, author of Action, a book about sex. And in the studio is Jen Mayer, clinical associate professor of gender studies at IU. At the break, Prince with Darlene Nikki. That's hard not to want to sing along to, right? <laughs> I mean, if you know it. I mean, it's, yep, it's a perfect it's a song. song. Yeah. Um, so let's see here. Uh, I did say when we went to the break, we'd take a look a little bit or we'd listen to something from Helly, Helen Gurley Brown. Uh, Helen Gurley Brown was the uh, um, editor at Cosmopolitan for 32 years. And uh, so let's just uh, listen to that clip right now, Jen. How do you talk to a man in bed? For some reason, unexplained even by Freud, men like to talk in bed. And if one has gone so far as to go to bed with a man, well, I think it's silly to refuse to talk to him. So the question is not whether, but but what to say. I think a little something about it being nice to be there might be in order. You know how men are, insecure to the bone. Even if you've been dragged kicking and screaming and clawing and scratching every inch of the way, it's really only polite to acknowledge pleasure once you get there. Of course, if you just quit kicking and scratching, he'll probably get the message. Now, after all, if you didn't really want to be there, you wouldn't be. You could have uh, locked yourself in the bathroom and waited to be discovered with a cleaning woman. Now, there is such a thing as being pressured. I know one girl who found herself not only out of the restaurant, but out of her dress in a man's apartment about 15 minutes after dinner. She figured one thing might lead to another. She really was a very discerning girl if she didn't act a little faster than she had so far. So she just darted out the door in her slip and refused to come back in from the outer hallway. Since it was his hallway and his lease, and she seemed to have a pretty firm grip on a potted rubber plant, it seemed silly to try to force her back in after a few doomed stage whisper kind of protest. He just handed her her dress and her shoes and her bag out the door and called her a taxi. You see, rape is evitable. This, this is all by way of saying that if you're in bed with a man, some part of you, some very important part of you must have said yes. So I think a little word of appreciation would be nice. <laughs> Thank That's you. That's horrible. Thank you, man. <laughs> Thank you. That was Hel- Helen Gurley Brown from an album she put out to try to capitalize on the success of her 1962 book, Sex and the Single Girl, which she called Lessons in Love. And that came from the track, How to Talk to a Man in Bed. There's like three more minutes on that track where she actually does get to the talk about, you know, talking to a man in bed part. But that part I had to play. It was just so um, amazing, really. Yeah. Wow. Horrible. Amy Rose Spiegel, um, uh, Helen Gurley Brown, did you have a sense for her being any kind of uh, role model or uh, uh, at least in some sense a, a path breaker in a sense? Well, that would be I, really hard after that quote. To... Yeah, sorry. Should we, we should probably, <laughs> we, should, we can talk about the quote too if you want, of course. Well, I couldn't hear the quote. Oh, I, oh, oh dear. Amy, that's my technological problem. Okay. I apologize uh, to you. I, I, a... I, let, me, let me briefly try to tell you what it was. She basically said that if you're in bed with a man, you must have wanted to be there, um, that you should be able to talk to a man in bed. And then she had a friend who had a chance or was with a man who I guess she decided she didn't want to be with and took a potted rubber plant out into the hall with her to, to when she ran away out of his house. But it was his lease and his apartment, and the man had to hand her clothes to him. Uh, that's not even close to what she really said. Well, well I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a, kind of the gist of it. 
Yeah, wow. sorry about that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you can you That's can get good. the get it on the YouTube. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, I think I think one of the things like and and this will be for you to answer, not me, but I think in bringing up Helen Gurley Brown, I, there's there's a one of the things that I really really deeply appreciate about action is that one one of the things that like Sex and the Single Girl tried to do, I think, was try to validate just that, like women as desiring creatures, but at the end of it, right, in the final analysis, um, Brown still had a kind of, well, a sort of really what we would consider retrograde kind of um, notion of consent, not to mention rubber plants, but <laughs> consent. Um, so I find that, uh, I mean, and I teach large classes of 18 and 19 year olds and, among, and older students as well, but there is still a kind of slippery um, uh, notion between this idea of wanting something and yet consent and you know we were in a university town where there's like a big drinking culture so um, I appreciate you talking very specifically about consent very very early on um, and as as silly as that Helen Gurley Brown quote seemed and as horrific as it sounds it, it doesn't completely seem alien right to the ways that we sometimes get students talking about these things and how they occur so hmm. I just wanted to add that right and I actually thank Helen Gurley Brown in the acknowledgments of my book mm -hmm. because I think that what she took on in 1961 was something that had not been done at that time. And many parts of it are going to be antiquated, and they are, believe mm -hmm. me. When she talks about gay men in that book, it's just, a, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. But I think that when people, if I hope they read action in as many years as it's been, and mm -hmm. I'm sure at that point, I'll have egg on my face as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mores move so quickly. And with Helen Gurley Brown, I think that her overall effect in the wider culture, outside of a scholastic or academic approach, is immeasurable. How The way that she spoke with women of all classes and made things acceptable for them to discuss, I think is really noble in a way. And though I'll, you know, it would be incredible if I agreed on with Helen Gurley Brown on many things, I really admire the spirit in which she took on that project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the uh, I think I pulled a couple of things uh, from the uh, one from the Village Voice, uh, an article by Caitlin Macy called "Girly Talk" in 2003, which is remember over 40 years after the book had been written. She says the book is astonishingly a liberating read. Instead of the current personality anna annihilating zeitgeist, we can that we can all be millionaires. Brown frees us to be ourselves, warts and all. Cherish it for the reason that it, it's an encouragement to be yourself. Mm. Right. And I think that there is a lot of that cheerleading that mm -hmm. happens in the book. There are really awful body politics in that yeah. book. She says to she's, always be a little bit anorexic. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, her her main thing is uh, just complete like self annihilation by way of anorexia. But I think that she was honest when she wrote, and I think that that is what resonated. And people probably didn't cotton to the parts about weight as much as they did oh the i don't think so either yeah i don't think that like, was her yeah i don't think that was her influence at all right exactly and i think that she is provocative and that's part of how she was alluring and how she made her mark and while that's not my particular approach to what i do i 
I can't, I can't really, um, I can't criticize it. I can critique it, mm-hmm. but I'm not, but I, I by and large really like Helen Gurley Brown. Mm-hmm. And I think she was a force of good in the world, especially because she left millions of dollars to STEM programs for girls upon mm-hmm. her death. Mm-hmm. A, like a vast amount of her fortune went to helping low-income girls learn how to code. Oh, I didn't even know that. That's mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah. yeah, She's great. Well, there's a picture in your book uh, where you have hamburgers uh, all over you. and it, What is your segue to that? Well, I was, uh, it struck me as um, I actually don't have sex in The Single Girl. I have having it all. Oh, uh, Helen Gurley Brown's Ultimate Woman's Guide to Love, Success, Sex, and Money. So, uh, in, Did it help you? It's, it, it's, it's been very helpful, actually. <laughs> the... Uh, she she calls herself and other women like her mouse burgers, and it just it struck me as an odd sort of I don't know yeah synchronicity. I I, I love well I kind of love that in a way because I I really like um, I I I like the way that she I mean way before post structuralist theory came in she was all about femininity as the masquerade and how that can be kind of fun mm. like. I love, uh, Amy, that you, like, you don't shy from eye makeup. Like, I love this kind of, like, I'm going to take this stuff and I'm just going to sort of run with it. And I, one of the things I do like about her is she was, like, you know, she was trying to get us away from this idea of the natural woman beauty, which is supposed to be effortless. She was like, no, that's not how it works. And it can still be fun, but it's not this thing that you're just born with. It's Maybelline to quote (laughs) (laughs) and that's that's important too because I think that when you are presented with this idea as a beauty as the best and most noble thing that you can ever acquire for yourself but then also told you know don't show it right that creates an impossible double bind yeah and so I really enjoy presenting on occasion with on most occasions with huge fake eyelashes and dyed blonde hair and that. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I'm really specifically choosing for myself and the world can see that I'm choosing it too. Mm -hmm. And I think that when women do present that way, it's often to the detriment of their ability to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And that's absurd too. And so I, I relish in having both and having it all. (laughs) (laughs) This is Doug Storm. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. Our topic today is sex and the single girl or woman. I'm joined via Skype by Amy Rose Spiegel, author of Action, a book about sex. And in the studio with me is Jen Mayer, an IU clinical associate professor in the gender studies department at IU. Uh, Well, so for mouse burgers, uh, which are uh, apparently not prepossessing, not pretty, don't have a particularly high IQ, a decent education, a good family background. She says not high IQ. That's what she says. says? I'm I'm quoting her, yes, or or other noticeable assets. Um, It's an interesting thing to to think about these things. Like there's, um, I think one of the the chapters, but one of the tracks on the recording talks about how you can get a man if if you're not pretty. Yeah. Mm. I I think I don't know um Amy if you've read um Jesse Klein's memoir, You'll Grow Out of It. I have. Oh god, do you remember the the section where she's talking about like two types of women and you're a wolf or you're um I can't remember what the other category. A poodle. That we put a lot of pressure on. Um, so, Doug, this is like this idea that within popular culture, we have these icons of beauty. Mm. And the poodles are the ones who just appear to be like effortless, which is a weird name, actually, because you don't think of poodles that way. No. But wolves are women who like it seems like they've put some effort into their stuff. Yeah. 
Um, so she talks about like Jennifer Aniston as like, you know, that's some work to get highlights that color. Whereas Angelina Jolie just seems like she wakes up that way. Mm. And there's something really charming, I think, about thinking of, uh, I think it's an enormous amount of pressure that we put on young women to think that they're supposed to look like a Ralph Lauren ad, where like, if you want to be Versace, I think that's much more fun. Like, just take it to the limit in some sense. Don't, you know, this isn't natural. This isn't effortless. Do with it what you will. I'm kind of lost in there. Versace. Sorry. Versace means something. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, it's the problem here that, that I have to try to understand these things. This is, um, the, so so part of the, the titillation about writing a book about sex is that there's sex in it. <laughs> right. So, you know, uh, to sort of tiptoe around these particular issues, were there particular things that you thought that you needed to address? I know we, we, we talked about consent and, and we should probably get consent uh, in here first to try to just say there's there is a there is a yes and a no in this world. Right. So I think more than just the yes or no question, it boils down to when people are put off by consent, as they sometimes are. I'm always really confused by that because that means that you are shucking off the responsibility that you have as a person who is having sex or otherwise being sexual with someone to be respectful and kind to them. And I think that it's so easy just to say, is this okay with you? Do you like this? Can we? Rather than risk that person's discomfort or worse. And so I'm a little bit yeah, I, I think with consent, it seems like this, I'm, I'm seeing now that, you know, there are certain colleges across the U.S. where men are uh, having girls sign contracts, like consent <laughs> contracts, before they get together. And that just seems to me to be like such a wrong-headed approach to what is such a natural thing to do. I mean, it's... you Making sure your partner is comfortable is paramount, because otherwise what you're doing isn't sex. I but there's that, also a consent app um, where you can just do it on your phone. Really? What? Yeah. yeah. What is that like? I don't know. I've not used one. <laughs> but there is an actual app? There's an app. Well, I talked oh. about this with um, with Kelly Oliver in the Hunting Girls episode. Oh. And yeah, there, oh. there are consent apps. Uh-huh. Uh, all all seem des- designed to protect men generally. Yes. Yeah, I guess. And no one in the real world is is really, that's the funny thing with even what I've just said about the consent contracts. Mm -hmm. That's not something that I have ever experienced that my sisters or my cousins or anyone, my friends in the rest of the US, it's not something that they're seeing. It's a really broad stroke with which to be painting. Mm -hmm. What I'm concerned with is how people actually behave and how they actually say yes and no to each other. And so in my book, I really tried to lay out different ideas of how that might go and how you might feel comfortable with it in a set of different strategies. And it's difficult because on some level it is prescriptive to some extent, but yes. there's ways that something can be prescriptive without being like like what Oberlin is doing, right? That there are ways in which you can sort of check in with somebody that doesn't have to be a kind of formalized contract. Oh, I mean, if, if you like contracts, if that's what gets you hot and heavy, that's fine too. But Why not? Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> Who likes having sex with lawyers? It could be fine. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't have oh to, um, you know, but I, when it, I think sometimes there's a disjuncture between people's experience of sex. Like, well, I remember doing this and I remember being fully into it. And I don't remember a kind of metaphorical or other sort of dotted line that I 
signed, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I, I, I think it's important that we can think about it beyond this idea of a contract, but yet here's some like fun and easy ways to sort of check in if you weren't thinking of doing that in the first place. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, one, of the th- one of the things that, um, that strikes me as interesting, again, and uh, since now I have two points of reference in my sex advice book, Life, I have Action by mm-hmm. Amy Rose Spiegel, and I have Having It All by Helen Gurley Brown. <laughs> These are the two books on my bookshelf. Uh, in the section of uh, Helen Gurley Brown's book, it does, it does give advice on how um, to perform fellatio, and uh, you mm-hmm. do the same as well. Amy, that's such a fancy off. word. I'm, I'm just going to say fellatio <laughs> in the air right now. Okay, <laughs> she does too. She's really she's not prim, but she's uh, she doesn't use slang at all because mm-hmm. she, I think, very presciently understand understood how quickly it would become dated. And she, so, you know, she was of a certain social class where how you talked had everything to do with your upward mobility, absolutely, or lack of, yeah, absolutely. Well, she did also write the c word with dash dash dash. Uh, under that could be any well. number of Well, words. it was about the power of the C on dash, dash, dash. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and it still was, don't, still could be. I any. know, there could be a couple. <laughs> well, I think I'm pretty sure from <laughs> the right, context right. of what it was. All right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jen is telling me we should go to a break, so I'll have to find A different my, Jen. Yes, the other Jen. Sorry, we have two Jens here. Jen, our engineer. Hi, Jen. Thanks for giving me break music. It's time for a break. This is Doug Storm. Our show is Let's Get It On with Amy Rose Spiegel. Spiegel is the author of a new book of advice about sex called Action. Jen Mayer, an IU clinical associate professor in the Gender Studies Department, is in the studio with me. When we come back, Blanche and Dorothy stop by to offer some golden advice on sexual harassment. Jeff Beck takes us to the break with Dirty Mind, featuring Imogen Heap on size and moans. More with Amy Rose Spiegel when Interchange returns on WFHB. Welcome back. This is Doug Storm on Interchange. Our show is Let's Get It On, and our guests are via Skype, Amy Rose Spiegel, author of Action, a book about sex, and in the studio, Jen Mayer, clinical associate professor of gender studies at IU. That was Dirty Mind by Jeff Beck with Imogen Heap 
at the break. Uh, and as I said, as we went to the break, we'll welcome Dorothy and Blanche to the show with this edited clip from the Golden Girls. And I know, Amy Rose, you can't hear it, but this, I think, is your favorite episode. So. <laughs> I don't believe we've been formally introduced on Blanche Devereaux. Yes, I know. You do? Mm-hmm. Of course. Oh, I'm flattered. You're the only student who failed my midterm exam. <laughs> oh. What was it you wanted to see me about? Well, Professor Cooper, I suppose you are aware that I'm having the teensiest bit of trouble in your course. And to be frank, passing this course is very important to me. So I was wondering if maybe you could give me a little help. Ah, I see. Well, Blanche, considering that you flunked the midterm, you'll need an A on the final exam to even pass my class. And the odds on that seem uh, pretty slim. But you see, I have to have these credits to get my degree. Well... It's going to take a lot of hard work on your part. You mean like extra credit? Well, you could say that. Oh, well, that's fine. I'm ready, willing, and able. I'll do whatever I have to. Oh, I like your attitude, Blanche. (laughs) Uh, This is my uh, home phone number. Uh, uh, If you really want that degree, you'll use it and catch my drift. Oh. (laughs) Oh. Rose is right. Listen, you're going to get an A in that class. We're going to help you do it. And as far as that professor is concerned, you should report him immediately. You think I should? Absolutely. You know, when I first started teaching, the school principal pulled exactly the same thing on me. What did you do? I reported him to the Board of Education. They investigated and he was forced to resign. Of course, much later, I found out that I was not the only person he had harassed. I was, however, the only person he harassed while he was wearing a corset and high heels. <laughs> well, at any rate, I spoke out. And because I did, a lot of other women didn't have to go through the same thing. You know, Dorothy, you're right. I have made up my mind I'm going to see the dean about Professor Cooper. That was a clip from season one of The Golden Girls. That's 1986. Helen Gurley Brown's Having It All was 1982. The episode, Adult Education. Now, according to a piece you wrote uh, in Rookie, Amy Rose, this episode is a favorite of yours. Tell us why. I love this episode. So in it, Blanche is having trouble with a professor who is sexually harassing her. And she's unsure of what to do about it and what her recourse is. I love this episode because at the time that I first saw it, I was going through a similar situation Mm -hmm. at my college. And I was met with a lot of resistance when I tried to speak about it publicly. And so I embarked on a mission of sorts to not only pass all of my classes with impeccable grades, but also to get that person removed, which I did. And I... I was amazed by, I wasn't saddened by, but I was amazed by the fact that it was still so relevant, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe 30 years later. And, and that it was just so prescient of, of this, of these writers to address this so head on. And I really didn't see anything else in my, you know, in what I took in that had done that as handily. So I really loved that there was this template as set out by, you know, five amazing golden girls <laughs> that well, I was seeing as a 20 year old woman to, to speak up for myself and, and to act change for the women in my college. And can I say something about that? Of With, course. Uh, also, I think what's wonderful about that is that it's Blanche. 
Right. Yes. And yeah. that, you know, it's when we try and think of these situations, you know, we think of um, if it um, was Dorothy or something, that would be a much easier thing to dramatize because obviously she's not bringing anything this on any of this on herself because she's, you know, she's she's a totally different character. Blanche is already feminine, uber feminine, you know, her whole stance. And in some sense, I think, and, and certainly this is the oldest story in the book for rape and everything else, that if that's her M.O., she is somehow complicit. Right. And, you know, as someone, I mean, I think, you know, being beautiful, being um, funny, being not sort of rigid. I mean, like, that's the sort of thing that's going to count against you because we still live in this world where thinking that, like, the smart and the beautiful or, you know, uh, the flighty and the serious, that these are real binaries, particularly when it comes to women and particularly when it comes to smart women, I think. It drives me nuts as somebody who's incredibly beautiful myself. <laughs> as a professional model. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to say it's hard work. Yeah, well, you know, you know, you actually pointed out uh, something they set up in the episode, too, where the Blanche goes in and talks to the professor and, and uh, flirts with him a little bit yeah. at, at the beginning. Well, I don't mean if she's flirt. I mean, she's just being Blanche. Right, right. Well, right. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, again, yeah. I don't. you can characterize it how you want. The, yeah. That's, I think it was, again, the brilliance of the show to go in that direction for yeah. Blanche to... To say, you know, he says something about his big ears or something like yeah. that. And she says, well, don't say I mean, I, I write about this in sort of like teacher-student sex mm -hmm. scandals and the erotics of pedagogy and all this stuff. Like being engaged um, in something that's heady and brainy, I sometimes feel is like flirting. Mm. I mean, I feel like that exchange of ideas for people who are into it can be really wonderful in, and not unlike flirting, but... You know, unfortunately, we have institutions and we have gender and we have ways that their various um, professors have taken advantage of that atmosphere instead of using it as a goad to like being turned on by the text at hand. Right. Right. And let's also look too at the power differential here. Right. If a student, you know, is seen as flirtatious with a professor, that does not then give yeah, that professor yeah. yeah, full license to act unprofessionally and you know in a way that's morally defunct in my opinion right. right like i think that there's and you know and this is i think far truer outside of the adult education spectrum like if you if as in my case you know you had a student who in my case i had not been flirtatious with my professors but even if i had it would yeah. not have justified the behavior that was extended to me. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, the episode does also uh, detail the fact that the you know you bureauc the bureaucracy won't you know deal with it either. Like mm -hmm. there's a big form to fill out, and mm -hmm. he won't. And she says she has no witnesses. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it does cover all the bases. Again, this is 1986, and these are the same things we talk about now and mm -hmm. continue right. to talk about. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, after, let's see, after um, I was looking at uh, some things here, Amy Rose, and I, I, I wanted to, you know, give your book some space, right? Like, so so part of the um, difficulty in, in designing the program was wondering how much and how would I be able to talk about your advice in the book? Like, so, so maybe you can help us out here in terms of what is it you wanted to do in, ad, in advising on sexual acts, on the, the way you go about meeting people. One thing I wanted to definitely applaud you for was the the push to have people go out and actually meet other people and not just be on the computer or uh, iPod or whatnot? I think it can be really daunting, the idea of presenting yourself 
with all of that you are to other people and then potentially facing rejection. And I think that if you reframe that thought and see rejection as experience and see it as a kind of protection and like edification, then you can go into things a bit more confidently. I'm not totally against people using Tinder or whatever they would like to use in order to meet people. In fact, for queer and trans people, especially, yeah, those are often the safest ways. Yeah. So I'm really in support of that. As far as, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a position where I am not as endangered in meeting people. And so for my personal tastes, I like to go mm -hmm. and meet people. And you're in New York. Face. I mean, you have that option. Like yes, somebody who's in like definitely. Martinsville, Indiana, who's queer, it's going to be much different. It's going to be different for sure. And I'm all about using specific kinds of community in order to, you know, on the internet and off in order to feel safe and to feel protected. And like, and like you can go and fully express yourself without fear of, you know, backlash. But I and so I my my position on that is complex and I go through that in the book. When it comes to the idea of meeting people in person, I always follow a tenet called sending out the lamb of myself, which is like if I send out a little part of myself, a safe part, the lamb of myself, and the lamb is slaughtered, then I'm not gonna I'm not mm. gonna go with the rest of it. But if I feel safe when I've sent out a little bit and that little bit is accepted and shown kindness, then I can continue to to try and get to know someone. Mm -hmm. This is Doug Storm. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. Our topic today is sex and the single girl. I'm joined. I keep saying that. It's, in, it's on my text. You probably wanted me to stop saying it a long time ago. Uh, uh, my guest is Amy Rose Spiegel, author of Action, a book about sex. And in the studio, Jen Mayer, IU Clinical Associate Professor in the Gender Studies Department at IU. So uh, how to decide on what to actually describe uh, in the book uh, Amy Rose, uh, there are lots of sex acts you don't describe necessarily, but you do spend time. She describes a lot. You do spend time on a lot of things and a lot of ways in which you can go about that business. And uh, so, you know, how did you decide what, what went in and what didn't? Excuse me. Wow. <laughs> how did I decide what went in and what it didn't? I feel like I tried to be as diverse in describing basic sex acts as I could. So uh, when I say basic, I mean things that are readily encountered by, you know, a lot of different people in different identifications and in different entanglements. So while I couldn't speak to certain more complicated, you know, s sexual tastes, like if people are very into like, you know, lollipops or bulldozers, like that's amazing, but that's not something I can really address that I think would be relevant to readers on the whole. So in writing about the sex acts that I do describe, it was really important for me to to talk about the different configurations within those acts. Like not everybody is going to be coming at this from the same gender relationship. Not everybody is going to be coming at this as, um, you know, a, a woman or whatever have you. So I, in, I didn't really go for like the whole entire breadth of sexual human experience because I'm not a monster and I, and I also like that's impossible uh it would be amazing if I thought I could lay claim to each and every experience that's ever happened but I can't if you so could get I, funding to just like try everything and then write a follow-up that would be great that grant proposal would be <laughs> <laughs> right but so I had to go with some very basic things that I thought people might encounter at some point or another along the way if they were 
interested in insects. And within those things, I tried to be um, as detailed as I could as to how they might go all different ways. So it wasn't so much about like hitting everything that's ever been done so much as providing suggestions and ideas and thoughts about a lot of different things within one act at a time. Hmm. Well, there's uh, there's a lot to cover, obviously, but the uh, the thing that you you begin the book with of uh, the uh, advice from I guess uh, Saint Augustine, uh, love and do what you will, is a part of the the idea of the you know the the nature of you is to is to try to find find out who you are, what you like, and not be stymied in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that is re- I, that's what everyone does. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that. Everybody would like to know, A, that they're good, and B, that they are good on their own terms. And I think if you set up kindness to other people as your first tenet, as your first ethic, then you can move through the world with a little bit more freedom. And do you think that that tenet of kindness was actually, I mean, I'm trying to think about everything that you've kind of talked about, which, I mean, in some, not everything, but the ways in which things are framed as seduction and therefore slightly manipulative, if what you're actually talking about is how to be kind and that that might be the you like have nice food available or, you know, on, on some level that could be seen like as somebody who's just trying to be a player, right? Like I'm going to try to get everything in place so I can get what I want. On the other hand, one could see it as like, wow, this is about being fundamentally kind and considerate instead. I mean, was Emily Post a player? Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen her hairstyle? She was totally a player. Awesome. (laughs) You know what? I believe it. But I do think, I do think that there are, there's this really roundabout way of thinking about like seduction that doesn't account for the fact that if you just make eye contact with somebody and listen to them, they're putty in your hands. Like the, if you if you just give someone the baseline of like actually paying attention to them, that's so infrequent. Yesterday I was going to get a bagel. Again, I'm here in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I was checking out and the clerk was really cute. And, and I said, oh, how are you doing today? And he said, no one has asked me that <laughs> like all day. Like no one has ever asked me that here. And I was like, that's weird. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah you have really beautiful eyes. And so like, that is like how that goes typically. It's weird. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a mouse burger short under Helen Gurley Brown's metric, but it's just, it's just a matter of kindness. Like that will get you everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel mm-hmm. if you just give it a shot. And I think it's easy to say like, Oh, you know, it's way it's different if you like present a certain way. And that's true. But the baseline is that kindness and mm-hmm. that charisma and respect. Mm-hmm. Well, these are uh, difficult things, I think, sometimes when we try to imagine ourselves in an environment that, that doesn't seem uh, safe. Uh, also, I think we talked a little bit about safety uh, and uh, trying to understand your own uh, way in the world before you get a sense of having uh, a confident way in the world. You know, uh, mm-hmm. as you say, you put out a little lamb and it's slaughtered. It takes a while maybe to go back out. But if you plan mm-hmm. for that, I think it's probably a lot easier. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to show this much of myself because I can handle that much of myself. Exactly. Being exactly. destroyed because I know it's not all of it. Yeah. You do make a, a plea for, uh, I think, uh, sluts at the end of the book. Is that that right, Amy Rose? Yeah. Love a slut. <laughs> So it's how you close the book, basically, right? It is, yeah. 
Well, I mean, tell me a little I talk- about it. Well, I mean, it's not so much making a plea for sluts, but a study of what people see as, you know, loose behavior. And I think that slut as a pejorative mm-hmm. kind of does is completely outside of the fact that a person is just choosing to do with their body what they want to. And I don't think that that in itself is any kind of heinous crime. So when I think of sluts, I think of people who have decided to take in the world maybe a different way than somebody else might, but who are still really interested in having experiences and seeing how they then relate back to them. That was the case for me. Hmm. I never saw myself as like a slut and I still don't, but I knew, but I was really afraid at the time that I was having the most sex of my life that other people would think poorly of me about it. And of course they don't. The fun trick is that no one really cares how much sex you're having as long as it's personal and it's yours and you figure out whom you want to tell and when. It doesn't have to mean anything about the rest of your life in many cases. I'm lucky in that case. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that for younger women and for people of different like of different identities and different designations, that's not always the case. There are a lot of ways this is socialized. But as far as a person's own relationship to it, it's that's all Mm self-determined. Yeah, I mean, I I would agree, although I think that there's also, you know, a huge load um, and like a lot of gendering of that. So in in one of the things we do in my classes, I make everybody read a romance novel. Um, and we read romance novels for like many times really graphic sex that are in depending if you get like a Harlequin blaze or something but theorists have written about how romance novels um, work because they reassure women who are reading them that they can have hot sex because romance is involved and there's going to be love Mm. right so I think there's ways in which you know um, having a lot of sex feels different socially if not individually for men and for women you know, and there's a lot more anxiety around it. For well, and we're going to have to leave that there. We're running out of time. I'm sorry about that. That's our show. We've been speaking via Skype with Amy Rose Spiegel, author of Action, a book about sex, put out by Grand Central Publishing in May of this year. Thanks for being with us, Amy Rose. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to Jen Mayer, clinical associate professor in gender studies at IU, for Thank always you. agreeing to return to Interchange and chat with us. Thanks, Jen. You're welcome. Thank you. We'll close with You Gotta Give Me Some by Bessie Smith, recorded in 1928. Next time on Interchange, love and activism in the bicentennial. I'll be joined by author and activist Andy Piasek to talk about his novel In Motion. Set in the summer of 1976, the novel depicts a city deluged by plant closures and runaway unemployment, the despair of the young and the proliferation of hard drugs, police brutality and an arson wave that is burning people out of their homes. Unfolding during the country's over-the-top celebration of the bicentennial, in motion first and foremost is a study of solidarity, the solidarity of two sisters, the solidarity of the multiracial residents of a city under siege, and the story of the solidarity of Jackie and Jack, two lovers who evince a remarkable and inspiring commitment to do the hard work of organizing for progressive advancement. Woo! Love and activism in the bicentennial on the next interchange, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. on WFHB. Thanks for listening. Go to WFHB.org slash news slash interchange to get some more interchange into your life. I'm Doug Storm. I produce Interchange. Rob Schoon is assistant producer. Jennifer Brooks is board engineer. And Joe Crawford is executive producer. Stay tuned for the Jazz Menagerie coming up next on your community radio station.